us right now from BearingArms.com. He is the editor-in-chief over there, also the host of Cam and Company, Cam Edwards on the Twitter box. And the White House throwing in the towel because they couldn't get past the fact that this wasn't just the standard radicalness. This was simply an unacceptable level of hate that wasn't going to fly. Yeah, I think that's right, and particularly in a few states. I mean, keep in mind, you know, we've got a 50-50 Senate, so all of the Republicans had come out opposed to David Chipman. That meant the Democrats needed to get all 50 on board uh, in order for Kamala Harris to cast a tie-breaking vote, which tells you automatically, Tony, how controversial this decision really was. I mean, you're, you're talking about nominating a committed gun control activist, a guy with nearly a decade's worth of experience working for Michael Bloomberg at Mayors Against Illegal Guns, Gabby Giffords at Giffords. Uh, and at the you know end of the day, the White House could not overcome the objections of red state uh, Republicans and red state voters, uh, you know, in Montana, West Virginia, in Maine. It, it seemed like uh, Joe Manchin, John Tester, and Angus King were really the three holdouts, and there was nothing that uh, was going to come out about David Chipman's past that was going to make gun owners feel any better. Uh, and that was going to relieve the pressure on those red state Democrats to to to, to buck the uh, White House and uh, oppose Chipman's nomination. You know, I started this with with a, a kind of a larger conversation, which is about faith in 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 the institutions. Uh, so mm-hmm. when when you take a look and you discuss the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, what is that institution supposed to do? Should that institution even be there? And how has it performed for the American people over the last twenty years? Well, it's a great question, uh, and I think that there is a, a lack of faith, particularly among gun owners, when it comes to uh, the role that the ATF provides. We have seen this agency as a politicized agency, but Biden would have weaponized it uh, if Shipman had been confirmed. So, you know, look, the, the ATF, until Republicans take back control of uh, all levers of government, uh, the prospects of the ATF going away or being folded into the Treasury Department instead of justice – you know, I, we can talk about it, but it's not going to happen. Uh, the bottom line is that, uh, you know, even those folks in the firearms industry recognize that the ATF is going to be around, but they want to have an ATF director that doesn't have an adversarial relationship with the industry that they're overseeing. And that would have been the case with David Chipman. You know, you talk to guys in the firearms industry, and they can tell you, yeah, you know, we can work with Marvin Richardson, who's the acting head of the ATF. Uh, you know, we, we know him. He's been around a long time. Uh, he's somebody that they can deal with. He's somebody that they may have to be dealing with in the future, uh, depending on what Biden decides to do here. But but David Chipman was a, an entirely different animal. This was a guy who expressed outright hostility towards gun ownership, towards people who had purchased a firearm over the last year and a half since the start of the pandemic. This is a guy who had bragged about wanting to turn AR-15s into machine guns under federal law uh, and not go through Congress, by the way, but to impose a backdoor gun ban on you know millions of gun owners. Without a vote of Congress, uh, this is the type of guy that the gun control lobby in the Biden White House wanted to put in charge of overseeing our gun laws and the firearms industry. And the sad thing is, Tony, it, this shouldn't have been a, a, a matter of, you know, one or two Democratic senators pulling the plug on Jimmy's nomination. This guy should not have had the support among Democrats that he enjoyed. Talking to Cam Edwards, uh, editor-in-chief over there at Bearing Arms, B-E-A-R-I-N-G, BearingArms.com. 
Why shouldn't he have had the support of Democrats? They've made this clear that this is a policy position of theirs, that the the answer is put an end to the Second Amendment through any end around you possibly can. So you can talk about specific Democrats in specific states where they seem to be far more okay with firearms, but why wouldn't he expect to get Democrat support? Well, I think two things. I think, first of all, you know, there is that uh, portion of the Democrat Party that wants to reimagine policing, right? Uh, not even interested in criminal justice reform, but they just want to, you know, rethink the whole concept. David Chipman is one of those guys who believes in banning and arresting our way to safety. Uh, and that is the heart of the gun control movement. It involves more policing. It involves more arrests. It involves more incarceration. Uh, and if David Chipman had his way, millions of Americans would have been turned into criminals overnight. So I can actually make the case for, you know, the the far left base of the Democratic Party uh, to be opposed to David Chipman because of what he represented, the policies that he wanted to put in place. But I would say even, you know, Democrats like Maggie Hassan of, of New Hampshire, who is in a, I think, going to face a very tough reelection fight next year. She did come out in favor of Chipman's confirmation. I think that was a, a bad decision. For these Democrats to make. If you install a committed gun control activist as the head of the ATF, what happens the next time you've got a Republican in the White House? Who do they put in charge at the ATF? Do they nominate somebody like a Wayne LaPierre? Do they put in place, uh, you know, the head of Smith and Wesson? Uh, if you want to try to play these games, again, with the, the institutions that we have in Washington, D.C., well, your political opponent is going to play those same games, too. And I think it takes us down a, a very bad road. Um, you know, I don't know what the Biden administration is going to do going forward, but this is a this is a big victory for gun owners and Second Amendment supporters. And it's a slap in the face to the gun control lobby and deservedly so. Let's take it over to uh, North Carolina. Uh, you have the story here with one heck of a headline. New North Carolina activists stand by Jim Crow gun control law. Now, it, it is not common knowledge, but should be when we take a look at gun control laws throughout American history. It's clearly set up by bigots and racists to try and keep black people from being able to enjoy and engage in their Second Amendment rights. But what here is the story in North Carolina, Wake County, North Carolina, uh, mm-hmm. and the the i they have the they have black applicants that's the word i'm looking for being denied an ability to purchase uh, purchase a handgun yeah north carolina is a weird state and it's one of the few states that still has this law on the books it's called a pistol purchase permit law and so before you can even go to a gun store and buy a handgun go through a background check and buy a handgun you've got to go down to your local sheriff and you've got to ask permission to buy a handgun now, this law was put in place in North Carolina back in 1919, the height of the Jim Crow era. That was, uh, that was the same year that was called the Red Summer. You had a lot of uh, race riots in the country as black veterans were coming home from World War I, and they, they wanted, frankly, to be able to exercise the civil rights that they were supposedly fighting for. Uh, that very same year, North Carolina's legislature put this law in place, and since then, black applicants, as you say, they have been denied their ability to purchase a firearm, so even if they can pass a background check. You're right. there, there, there's no prohibiting factor. A sheriff can say, yeah, I just don't think you're the right type of person to own a handgun. Uh, and there's research that's been done very recently in Wake County. This is Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. This is one of the more progressive parts of the state. Black applicants are almost three times as likely to be denied a pistol purchase permit than white applicants. And so this year, the Republican legislature in North Carolina voted to repeal this law. 
the State Sheriff's Association came out in favor of taking authority and power away from them. They said, we don't need this. We've, people go through a background check at retail sales. We don't, we, we don't need this anymore. So they didn't object to repealing this law, but gun control groups did. Governor Roy Cooper, Democrat governor of North Carolina, vetoed the bill that would have repealed this pistol purchase permit requirement. And gun control activists are still trying to this day, Tony, they are denying or downplaying the racist roots of this gun control law and the disproportionate impact that it still has today on so, black gun owners. So here's where this is interesting, talking to Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com. And, and you and I, we, we come from a long time within uh, the movement and the political right. You working within the Second Amendment and, and, and other places. You're a longtime radio host uh, yourself. You've filled in on this very show. You're, you're, you do work in Washington, D.C. and other places. When we talk about and people discuss the idea of systemic racism, one of the arguments has been, I've been one who's used this argument, show me the system and I will help you rip it out by the root. Here, it seems to me that you have shown the system that is clearly bigoted. You have shown how Republicans wanted to rip it out by the root, but it is the progressive left, the Democrats who control these anti-gun groups and the governor, Rory Cooper, who have pushed to keep this bigotry in place. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I look at it this way. Um, last year, we saw a lot of Democrats in North Carolina uh, fight to take down statues, right, that were erected around 1919. This year, these same Democrats fought to keep statutes in place that were put in place by the very same racists uh, who erected those Confederate memorials in North Carolina 100 years ago. So, you know, what, are, are they interested in going after the, the symbols of racism or are they actually interested in going after these laws that were put in place that are still having a disproportionate impact today? And pretty clearly, uh, as long as they can, you know, try to spin this as, uh, you know, providing some sort of public safety benefit, they don't care if more black people are harmed by this law. They don't care if black Americans are not being able to fully exercise their Second Amendment rights. They don't care if there's disproportionate harm. Uh, to racial minorities. They don't care about any of that stuff because it's a gun control law. And ultimately, at the end of the day, they want to deprive every American of their Second Amendment rights. So if they have to start with, you know, one racial group, okay, fine, whatever. But they'll move on. I have no, listen, I'm not calling every gun control activist racist, Tony. I have no doubt that many of them are colorblind in their hatred for our right to keep and bear arms. But the gun control laws that they are fighting to put on the books or to keep on the books are, in fact, having a disproportionate impact on racial minorities. There is an argument that they need to go away because of that fact, uh, in addition to the fact that, frankly, they violate all of our constitutional rights for each and every American. You talk about statues really quick. It's Virginia that just uh, voted there to get rid of that Robert E. Lee uh, statue. Uh, you, you, you're you there in Virginia, right? You got the farm. You got the goats. You got the pigs. You, you got it all. Tell me how your life is better now that they've gotten rid of the statue, who, from what I know, was also somebody who helped uh, things get back to square post-war. Yeah, you know, listen, my, my life is uh, unchanged with the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue. I live about an hour away from Richmond. I think it was probably big news in Richmond. Uh, but, you know, I... I How is I, your I life not better, Cam? How, How is, is your life better? not better? How you know? is the tea not sweeter? How does the sun not shine with more oomph? <laughs> my gosh! It is a little cooler today. It's not 90 See? degrees. So maybe, maybe we can blame that. I guess we can credit the, uh, the statue removal for that.
You yeah. get rid of a statue, you get rid of global warming. It's just that easy. <laughs> By the way, I don't. Well, I, okay. I, 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 I got some statues in DC we could pull down. I, I, I only I got to double check it. People discussing. I think that, that we're talking about reconciliation. Uh, uh, or maybe there's another word I'm referring to, how Robert E. Lee tried to get uh, the South to, all right, we lost, and we're, 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 we're still a nation, and we're moving on, and we're, and we're moving forward. Some of those people really believe they were fighting for states' rights as opposed to uh, other, other things. That is not to say I care whether a statue is up. I don't mind if a statue is down, and I don't mind if a statue is voted uh, on to take it down. I mind mob rule. And there's still an argument of whether we just, what we just saw in Richmond was mob rule. Would you say it was, Kim? You know, I don't think this was mob rule because we had several lawsuits. You ultimately had a uh, unanimous Supreme Court decision from the uh, state Supreme Court of Virginia saying that uh, the statue could come down. Uh, that, that Basically, when the statue was erected, there was supposed to be a, a covenant uh, in perpetuity that would, you know, forbid the statue from ever coming down, uh, which I think is, is a little problematic here. I think the real mob rule happened last year in Richmond, and that's where we saw yeah. a lot of other statues come down, frankly, because of the mob, right? And they weren't waiting for court decisions. They were waiting to see this legal process play out. Uh, they were upset. They were angry. They took out their, uh, their anger on these, you know, inanimate objects, basically, uh, and, and pulled them down. I thought that was wrong. Um, again, if you want to go through the process and, and, you know, fight your way through court to try to take the statue down, that's the way to do it. Uh, and I don't have any objections really with the Supreme Court decision. Uh, you know, are we losing a little bit of our history in Virginia? No, I think we're losing the statue. I mean, I don't think there's any way to get – I mean, when you live in the state of Virginia, you are immersed in its history. You know, we, we've – I mean, Virginia has been around since 1607, and there's really no way to avoid – the history, the the great parts of our nation's history, the, the bad parts of our nation's history uh, that, you know, took part in, in the Old Dominion. So I, I'm not worried about history disappearing. I'm actually glad to see that this process actually played out, uh, you know, in a court of law and, 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 and laws were followed as opposed to mob rule, you know, reigning, uh, reigning supreme. I can appreciate that right there. Cam Edwards is his name, BearingArms.com, B-E-A-R-I-N-G, BearingArms.com. Always a pleasure, Cam. We've got more coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So the NFL season begins tonight, Tampa Bay and Dallas, and I, I have absolutely no idea who's going to win, who's, who's going to lose. What I'm going to be paying attention to is whether or not the audience is there and whether or not the NFL even cares. What will matter more, wokeness or ratings? What will matter more? What lecturing is going to take place from the NFL? And how will that be rewarded? We saw that people didn't really pay attention to sports last year, and we saw that people really didn't pay attention to the Olympics this year. But you take a look at baseball and the game in Iowa, the Field of Dreams game, people paid attention. They paid real attention. That worked, and it'll work as long as they do it in this same style. Can the NFL gain back viewers? This is, I don't have an answer. And I, by the way, I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't want to get lectured to. I'm not going to get lectured to by people who won't be honest about things that are going on. I, I just won't have it. 
People are allowed their opinions and point of views. I'm allowed mine, etc. But lecturing is something different. And so when you do that, I, I just change the channel, and that's, that's all there is to it. But will America? I don't know. You can tell me what you think. I'm just saying I'm not so sure. I don't know if we're going to find out from this game or not. Tampa Bay, Dallas. Ari put all his money on Dallas. He's a big Dak Pre- Dax Prescott fan. Dak. Dak Prescott. It would have been better if I could have said it. What's going on with Biden's six-pronged plan? Phil Kirpin discusses it next. I can still shut down the party. It's a six-pronged attack. That's that's where we are with with Joe Biden. We need six prongs to deal with COVID, which the World Health Organization has let us know is with us for forever, as if we didn't know that. Part of our problem, guys, is that we are having the honest conversation, not the ideological conversation. So when people say things and everybody else is freaking out, we've already been discussing it. We're that far ahead of the curve, not because we're necessarily smarter than anybody else, but because we're more honest about what's going on tony katz tony katz today it's good to be with you facebook tony katz radio be sure to like the page everything at TonyKatz.com. the world health organization said the words i think the virus is here to stay with us and it will evolve like influenza pandemic viruses it will evolve to become one of the other viruses that affect us which is why we discuss it as inoculation and not vaccine because we have to think of it exactly in that way so when joe biden has a six-pronged approach that include forced mandates. What in the world is he talking about? Phil Kirpin joins us right now from AmericanCommitment.org. Not a doctor, but nobody has done a better job at breaking down the data uh, than Phil Kirpin. It's good to have you here, man, and being able to go over this. Uh, you got Biden who's going to speak to the nation, but he has now said it. it. Not only have you had people like Jennifer Rubin over at Washington Post say that we should strong arm people into getting vaccinated, which is not a vaccine, the government is there. They're absolutely there on mask mandates. They want to push business owners into mandating uh, vaccines as if somehow that's going to stop COVID. First things first, the World Health Organization. Do they have it right or do they have it wrong? Well, I think, um, look, they have it right. We're not going to eliminate. They, you know, the only virus I think that's ever been eliminated uh, was smallpox. Everything else is still with us uh, to, to a certain extent. And for uh, airborne respiratory virus, the idea of elimination is crazy. I mean, it's already completely failed in Australia. Uh, New Zealand, I guess, is kind of holding on. But, you know, how? How many lockdowns? How permanent border control? The whole rest of the world, you know, once the genie's out of the bottle, you're never going to put it back in. And so, you know, this is... You know, we've got to come to terms with the fact that this virus is just it's part of the world now. And uh, in our, we, we still have political leaders that seem to be uh, making decisions on the delusion that you can eliminate a highly infectious airborne respiratory virus. And I, we've suffered for that for a year and a half now. And unfortunately, it looks like we're going to get more of the same from the president tonight.
Now, speaking of, and I want to get into some of the things that he is getting into, let's talk about Delta variants, because as we have seen and we've discussed, uh, there are peaks and then things go down. It hits its moment of being able to infect who it's going to infect, and therefore there are less people to infect, so we see less cases. In Florida... The cases have been going down. The COVID spike is going down. In my beloved Indiana, we're not expecting to hit peak until the end of September, maybe the beginning of October. But as you've looked at this data, we're seeing places peaking and the cases coming down. So when we compare the Delta peak to what we dealt with with the original, you know, the original formula of COVID, what were the similarities and what were the differences? Well, we we're seeing um, we're seeing sharper rises and and sharper falls, and so we've got uh, essentially you've got a similar uh, you've got a similar disease burden to some of the prior waves, but it happens faster and it ends faster, and so it's sort of compressed into a shorter time time frame, if you will, uh, which, you know, could be bad if it overwhelmed our hospitals. But we really haven't had a resource constraints with the exception of maybe a couple of places. Uh, Mississippi, Arkansas kind of looked like they were going to be constrained. But, you know, what tends to happen is uh, just at the moment where you fear that the hospitals are going to be overwhelmed is when you hit the peak and it declines. And I think that's because our hospital capacity is typically sized uh, for, you know, sort of the annual winter surges of utilization that we get with flu and other winter respiratory viruses. And so that's kind of the capacity that our system is is ready to deal with. And so even when it comes kind of all at once, we, we tend to be able to handle it. And so uh, we haven't really had sort of that nightmare scenario of not being able to handle the volume that people had been worried about at the beginning, even now where it sort of comes all at once and rises faster and, and, and falls faster, which is what we're seeing with this current wave. Talking to Phil Kirpin of AmericanCommitment.org, at Kirpin, K-E-R-P-E-N, on the Twitter box. Now let's get into where the White House is. Their six-pronged plan to battle the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. What was that? I said it's a lot of prongs. It's all oh, six prongs. I, I, I've got tongs that don't have six prongs. I, don't, I can't pick up meat that big. I don't have six prongs. You, they're going to keep the school open. They're going to have booster shots, increasing testing and requiring masks, economic recovery, and improving patient care. Now, I want to start with the mask because I have been clear, and I've actually reached out to you on some of these things, doing my own research. There was the Bangladesh study, which seemed to have a serious amount of issues with it. But in the end result, we still have not gotten anything that proves that masks are effective to any level of certainty in stopping COVID, but the latest emails regarding the CDC and the American Federation of Teachers and other teachers' unions seem to indicate that the CDC engaged politically to bring masks back to schools because of pressure from these teachers' unions. What were you finding? Well, you know, this Bangladesh preprint, I've never seen a preprint get more hype uh, for less merit uh, than this Bangladesh preprint, which, uh, you know, they did. It, it's interesting. They did serological testing at baseline before they started the study. They supposedly did took 25,000 samples of blood to see, you know, how much uh, how many people had already had COVID. They've not even processed those baseline samples yet. So how do you even go to a preprint when you haven't run the baseline test? You don't know what the 
start state was. You don't know how many people had already had COVID when you started the experiment, and yet they put that preprint out. Really bizarre, premature publication, in my judgment. Uh, they didn't even put it on a preprint server, by the way. They put it on the website of the nonprofit group uh, that was trying to raise money to promote masks, uh, which, you know, if something sort of contrary to the dominant narrative were produced in such a shoddy half-finished fashion and put on the website of the group promoting it, it would have zero credibility. But somehow this preprint was uh, blasted all over the world as the final proof that actually contrary to every other study done before now, masks really do work. And even if you look at what they put out, you know, their own confidence intervals include zero. So it's consistent with there being no effect of masks uh, in their own preprint. So I, I don't. I, I found that uh, preprint to be extremely underwhelming relative uh, to the hype that we saw. Uh, the the special context of schools uh, is particularly ridiculous because the whole rest of the world is moving away from masks in schools, especially in elementary schools uh, where most countries never masked because they said the educational harms are so great, uh, especially for language and communication development, for for the learner and the teacher not to to have their mouths covered is a huge educational uh, handicap uh, disadvantage. And so you got the whole rest of the world moving in one direction and we moved in the opposite and uh, strengthening and more masks and mask everyone, even if they're vaccinated. And uh, we found out yesterday uh, that the day before the CDC came out with their mask kids all the time in school guidance, uh, the White House asked the CDC director to call the heads of the two largest national teachers unions, Becky Pringle and Randy Weingarten. And uh, we don't know what was discussed on the call. They were smart enough to do it on the phone rather than email this time. But we know the uh, White House uh, you know, head of union relations asked the CDC director to talk to those two individuals, the heads of the two largest teachers unions. Uh, and the next day, they came out with that new guidance. So I, I mean, and, and they, they really didn't support it, Tony, with any science. If you look at their science brief, it's got like five studies in it. None of them uh, find that masking schools actually have a benefit. Uh, and so it looks like it, my guess is they were going to do they were not going to do that uh, until they got those phone calls and they made sort of that rush decision really w- without much of a backing uh, at the time they published it. Now, one of these prongs that Joe Biden is talking about is booster shots. And there was a lot of confusion when he talked booster shots because people were like, well, we, we how do we know we need a booster shot for Johnson Johnson? We're not, we haven't even really begun the, the, the digging yet uh, to see this. How can you make this claim? Yet it's one of the, the, the prongs that that in here we continue to miss that the vaccine helps you really i call it an inoculation helps you deal with covid if you should get it but it's not stopping the spread of covid i want to make sure we're all on the same page you could have total vaccination total inoculation and covid can still spread uh, right. It does not. It doesn't prevent transmission. In fact, there was just a study out of Vietnam that found you know very high viral loads in vaccinated healthcare workers. And so you know there does seem to be some some uh, transmission effect, maybe. Although it depends on which study you look at. But it's clear uh, that vaccinated people continue to uh, to transmit and spread the virus. So the benefit of the vaccination is really the reduction in hospital and death risk uh, for the person taking the vaccine. It's not so much the community immunity or herd immunity effect that we were hoping uh, we would get from vaccination because uh, it's just not having that much of an effect, if any, on transmission. And so it really is more about 
about self-protection than community protection. Um, but, you know, the, the messaging uh, hasn't shifted to accept this observed reality. And so we continue to have these weird stories where, you know, people are blaming the, the unvaccinated for spreading it to others uh, when really anyone anyone can spread it to anyone else. Uh, and so it, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what he says about it tonight. But it, it, it's clear that they're they're going to sort of double down on trying to force and mandate uh, people who don't want it, even people in very low-risk groups, which, uh, you know, I find to be kind of a strange strategy uh, rather than communicating the personal benefits to try to strong arm and threaten people with getting fired. And the other problem I've got also is, you know, they continue to double down on the masks. So, I mean, right. they're, they're recommending the vaccine and the mask in the same breath. And you got people who are looking at the actual data on the mask saying, well, that doesn't work. And then they don't trust them on the vaccine either. So this all brings us, and I'm with you on the mask. If they worked, I'd say so. This is, I'm not going to stop if somebody worked, from wearing one. Good. I just don't want to buy into the idea that it works. That's that's fundamentally where, where I begin and end. But all of this leads us to Fauci last week, or maybe it was earlier this week. No, I think it was last week, talking about the Mu variant, MU, and how they're keeping an eye on it. It seems to be this constellation of variants doesn't work. Uh, the vaccine doesn't necessarily work on it. But there's no reason to be alarmed uh, just yet. It's sh- it certainly sounds like he was desperate to try and alarm people. This is out of Columbia. Where do we think this thing is going and is this just another one and we're going to see all of them and the vaccine or the inoculation of an effect on some and not on others well you know the uh, the mu variant arose in colombia uh in the the country colombia uh in late december and it really hasn't spread much globally. It's been picked up in other countries, including the U.S., but very, very low levels, like, you know, like one or two in each state, something like that. It's like less than, you know, it's a fraction of a percent. Delta is now 99% plus of all the cases in the U.S. It's totally dominant. And we're seeing the same thing basically globally, even in South America, where things like Mu and the other uh uh, the other indigenous variants have sort of held on uh, to, to some of their share. They're losing ground to Delta. They're not gaining ground. And so I think that it's very unlikely that major variants in the future are going to be non-Delta variants. I think that what we're going to see is uh, we're going to see continued variations sort of from the Delta base uh, going forward um, because it does have a transmissibility advantage. And, Tony, that's why I think that if we are going to to do uh, boosters, they should approve one of the Delta-specific boosters, which all the manufacturers have, rather than just doing a third shot of last year's version, which uh, just makes no sense to me. So I don't understand their thinking on that. But I, I, I would, my, my assumption, I think this is what uh, the people who really follow the different strains uh, very closely and what's going on with this uh, have been saying as well, is that uh, you know the, the next variant of concern is going to be a variation from Delta, not, uh, in, not one of these other Greek letters. That right there, Phil Kirpin of American Commitment uh, dot is it is it dot org is it American Commitment dot org. I want to make sure. Uh, org right. or com, either one will work. So it'll, ah, it'll, look at uh, us. It, it, org is the one we use, but if you type in com, it'll bounce you over. AmericanCommitment.com.org. He's got it all. The .net coming soon. Phil Kirpin, I appreciate you taking the time. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz.
Jobless claims 310,000. The estimate was 335,000. That's good news. I don't need there to be high unemployment and high jobless claims to know that Joe Biden's bad at what he does. I want people back to work, back to the thing, and living their lives. I mean, that's... That is all of what I want. That's the beginning and that's the end of it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. I think people look at these numbers and say, well, man, I, this is, eh, we want it to hurt Biden. I, I, don't, I don't live like that. I, I don't want to live like that. Hurting Biden is not my objective. The man hurts himself and us more than enough. Thank you. Thank you very much. No, I want people going out there, getting jobs, getting their businesses back open, and doing things. This is this is exactly what I want to see. So I'm, I'm happy for these numbers, if these numbers will then translate into a higher labor participation rate, labor force participation rate, more people working, and then will, in a, in a rational way, bring down unemployment. Unemployment's at 5.2%, down from 5.4%, which I'm happy about. But they only created 235,000 jobs last month compared to the 700,000 plus plus that they were anticipating. So you, you, that, that number doesn't really jive. And you've got a, a, the, the idea of the labor force participation, I think, is at 61.7%. So you have some people who have clearly given up. And when they stop looking, the numbers mean less. And it's because some places just, well, there are, there are 10.9 million job openings, I believe. And we have people not filling them, which tells you there is an incentive on the other side keeping them from filling the job. Or there is a reality on the other side keeping them from filling the job. What if it's both? What if there had been this, this incentive put forth by the government, therefore competing with the private sector, keeping people from getting jobs, and because you have government that has engaged in levels of curtailing of kids going back to school and other things, you have people who aren't able to get back to work because of other real pulls and pushes and, and, and life requirements. I mean, it's just a bad scene. And I don't think Biden in his presser is going to clear it up. I think he's going to make it worse. Or his speech about his six prongs. Biden and his six prong plan, I'm pretty sure is a new Marvel movie. Speaking of, Marvel crushed it at the box office. That's coming up. This is Tony Katz today.